Well, I'm glad we got a God that knows when enough is enough. Amen. And I praise the Lord for that. Well, how many of you brought your Bible tonight? We hold up the Bible all over the building. And I want to ask you to join me in the Old Testament. I'm on page number 324 tonight. 324 or 1 Samuel chapter number 5. And if you'll join me there in just a moment, I'd like to just read... Uh, uh, some verses here. I'll skip around for a moment. And then if you'll leave your Bibles open and follow me through this text tonight. First Samuel chapter 5. It's 727. I'm going to try to preach real fast because right after church tonight, I need to introduce a couple of things to you. If you'll just bear with us, so I'll try to get through this real fast. And then just remain seated, if you will, and we'll jump through a couple of hoops here together as we start some new things here in our church in the very near future. All right? 1 Samuel chapter 5, join me, if you will, in verse number 1. The Bible said, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. When they rose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon. And both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. I like that stump, that southern talk there. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. Look at verse 6. But, uh, but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. Now jump over to chapter 6, if you will, and let me just read verse number 5. And the Bible said this, Wherefore ye shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land. All right, leave your Bibles open there. I know it probably don't make any sense, and it probably won't make a whole lot more sense when I get through with it. But I hope it will, and I hope God will use it to help us. Let's pray. Father, bless your word now. Speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for the last several weeks on Wednesday nights, probably months now, we have been following the life on a journey through the life of one of Israel's greatest leaders, a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a judge in the land of Israel. He was a judge who became a prophet in the land of Israel and was without doubt one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. He was head and shoulders above all the other judges that ruled before him. We have been following his story, and we've looked back in chapter 1, and we've talked about the mother of Samuel. Chapter 2, we talked about the mentor of Samuel. In chapter number 3, we talked about the ministry of Samuel. And then at the end of chapter 3, Samuel kind of disappears. In fact, from the end of chapter 3 all the way over to the start of chapter Chapter 7, Samuel kind of just steps out of the way. And I guess what we could say is we have an interlude, a break in the story of Samuel. But, but 1 Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6 uh, gives to us 
some great events in our Old Testament that's going to lead us back around to the coming of Samuel again in chapter 7. And I said last Wednesday night, if somebody were to ask me to subtitle these four chapters, here's how I would do it. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read this. The ark is taken. The ark is taken. In chapter number 5, the Philistines are shaken. And then in chapter number 6, the cows were bacon. Now, all of that plays into the story of Samuel. And last Wednesday night, we spent the whole time in chapter 4 talking about the ark being taken. One of the greater stories of our Old Testament is when the ark of God was taken or stolen from the nation of Israel. If you remember, I told you the ark of God, the ark of the covenant was the most important piece of furniture that was ever fashioned or made by human hands. That ark, more so than any other article in that Old Testament tabernacle, represented the presence and the glory of God. It was a box It was about four foot long, two and a half foot wide by two and a half foot high. It was made out of an incorruptible wood called Achaia wood, Shittim wood. It was overlaid with pure gold. And then every box has to have a lid and so they put a lid on top of that box known as the mercy seat, which was a slab of nothing but pure gold. And on the ends of those pure, on the ends of that gold were the cherubim standing there with their wings stretched out, staring down upon that mercy seat. Well, a war broke out between the nation of Israel and the Philistines. Of course, we know that wasn't anything new because, man, uh, fighting and warring between Philist the Philistines and Israel was as common as the cold back in those days. However, when this war broke out in chapter 4, the nation of Israel is put to worse before the Philistines. In our terminology in Forsyth County, we'd probably say the Philistines have whooped the fire out of the Israelites. Well, the Bible said after they defeated the nation of Israel, they took, they stole the ark of, of God. Now, prior to that, you may remember that the nation of Israel, when they, uh, when they were going out to fight this battle, they were living in outright disobedience to the Lord. They were living in rebellion against the Lord, but somehow before the battle breaks out, their attitude is, somebody go grab God. And the Bible said they go back and they get a hold of that ark and they drag that ark into this battle. Their, their, their idea is this rock, this, this, this ark is like somewhat of a, of a rabbit's foot. Let's rub on it a little bit. Uh, let, let, let's, let, let's go get the box. Let's bring God out here like he's a genie. All you got to do is rub on it. He'll pop out and he'll appear and, and all of our problems will disappear. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today that still have that mentality when it comes to God. They want to go out, live in outright rebellion against God, disobey God, live like God even exists, uh, live like he doesn't exist, ignore God completely. But when the chickens of their choices come home to roost, they want to say, hey, go grab God. Let's go get the Lord and bring him out here and just let him say a few magical words and all of our problems will vanish away. Can I stop and say it didn't work for Israel and it won't work in this day. God is not some kind of a spare tire that you can just drag around with you and pull out when troubles come. He is a God that wants to be preeminent in our lives. So after the battle, the, the, the Israelites were defeated and the ark was stolen. Then you remember when news got back to the land of Israel about the ark being taken, Eli, the chief priest, the chief prophet of that particular day, was an old man. He was heavy. He was leaning back in a chair against the wall, and when he heard that the ark had been stolen, he fell out of the chair. 
and broke his neck. Remember that? His two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed in the battle when the ark was taken. The wife of Phinehas, the Bible said, when she heard about the ark being taken, she went into premature labor. She gave birth to a baby and died while in the process of delivering that baby. And the Bible said they named the baby Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from the nation of Israel. You know, really pretty much the whole history of the nation of Israel has been, has been one of possessing and then losing the glory of God. The greatest loss that any nation can ever incur is to lose the glory of God. America's greatest, greatest ally, uh, uh, gr uh, gr the greatness of America is not measured in our allies. It's not measured in our assets. It's not measured in our armaments. The greatness of America has been because of our almighty God. No other reason that you can say that America has been the nation that it's been other than the fact God has blessed our nation. But right before our very eyes, you and I are seeing our nation slip further and further and further away from God. And as we do that, we're losing the glory of God, losing the presence of God. We can't flaunt our, our sin in the face of a holy God and expect God to pronounce his blessings and his protection upon us. It just don't work that way. Man, we need to get right with God. And then God said, no good thing will I withhold from them that walk up rightly. Man, if our nation would get back to God, revive us again, and get interested in righteousness again, God could once again pronounce his blessings and his protection upon our nation. But until that time, we're bobbing up and down out here in a, in a wicked world all by ourselves. Well, as we enter chapter 5, the ark has been taken. Now, in chapter number 5, we see these Philistines as they get shaken. I mean to tell you, listen, these Philistines have no idea, believe me when I say that, they have no idea what they have in that ark. Amen. They're in a mess. So tonight, if I had to give a subtitle to my subtitle for chapter 5, it would be this right here. God behind enemy lines. God behind enemy lines. Lines. What do I mean by that? Well, God, excuse me, I know that box is not God, but the presence, what that box represents, is now behind enemy lines. Now it is in enemy territory. So what happens when God gets behind enemy lines? Why don't you look in chapter 5? I have three things I'd like to say about this text tonight. First of all, when God gets behind enemy lines, number one, their religion was ruined. Their religion was ruined. So the Bible said in verse number 1, they carry the ark of God from, Beth, uh, from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And evidently there in Ashdod, they've got a house, a temple that is built to worship the Philistine chief god by the name of Dagon. They worship this god in this house and they bring the ark of God and place it right there at the foot of this false god by the name of Dagon. Now you talk about a false god. Dagon was a false god. Uh, Dagon was a god that had the upper torso, had the upper torso of a man. So he had a face, a head, he had arms. His, it, from the waist up, he was a man, but from the waist down... He was a fish. So he was called the fish god. And they take the ark of the living God, 
the God of heaven and the God of earth, and they place it right there at the foot of their God, Dagon. And what they're literally symbolically saying is that their God, Dagon, delivered the Lord God into their hands. Symbolically, they're saying Dagon is greater than the Lord God. You see, these Philistines think that God, their God, Dagon, gave them the victory over the nation of Israel. They don't understand. It wasn't Dagon that gave them the victory. It was the God that gave them the victory. God delivered his own people into the hands of these Philistines. But don't you think about their God for just a minute. I mean, look at that. Verse number 2, 3, and 4, and 5. It's really funny what happens. So they carry the ark in there and set it down. And they leave. And when they go back in there the next morning, old Dagon has fallen on his face. Well, they get a hold of that thing and they set it back up in its place again and they leave again. And the next morning when they come back, not only has Dagon fallen on his face, but this time his head's fallen off, his hands have fallen off. He is a mess laying before the ark of the covenant. Can I say three things about Dagon? Would you notice, number one, that Dagon was a made God? He was a made God. What I mean by that is he was fashioned by human hands. He was the imagination of their own hearts. Somebody had to make that God. Somebody had to come up with that creation of that God, and he was a God that was made. Number two, he was a God that was moved. That's right. The Bible said he fell down, and when he fell down, they came back in and with human hands moved their God from off his face and set him back up on his stump again. So he was a made God. He was a moved God. But can I say number three? He was a mangled God. That's right. The Bible said they go in there the next morning. He's fallen on his face. His head's fallen off, off. His hands are laying crumbled on the floor. He was a mangled God. Can I stop and say that I'm thankful tonight that the God that I serve is not a God that's made with human hands. In fact, let me tell you, not only do we find in the Bible, not only did we not make God with our human hands, but we find out in the Bible that God made us. With his hands. The Bible said in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Listen, we didn't make God. God made us. Amen. And let me just say this. Our God's not only not a made God, but aren't you glad he's not a moved God? Amen. Hey, I'm glad he can't be moved from one place to another. And can I say this? He'll never fall down so he won't have to be helped back up again. He's not like that old commercial that we used to be on TV. I've fallen and I can't get up. I tell you what, we may hear a lot from the throne room of heaven, but the one thing we'll never hear is God saying, I have fallen and I can't get up. Hey, I'm glad he's just as real and fresh and new and powerful as he's always been. He can't be made and he won't be moved. And then can I say this? He can't be mangled. We'll never read in our Bible where God will ever be mangled. Our God will never be cracked. Our God will never be crumbled. And our God will never, ever be crushed. He's God Almighty. And he's sitting on the throne of heaven. But I tell you what, bless your heart, when they brought that ark in, that God was a God no more. Can I say these Philistines should have known better than this to mess with the glory of God? That's right. You see, they had already not too awful long ago, experienced what the glory of God could do. Remember, 
the story of Samson? Remember how he was constantly mixing it up with these Philistines, constantly fighting? Well, they come to understand something about that boy. There's something different about that boy. Picking up a jawbone of a dead donkey and whooping a thousand of them. Carrying up, socking up the gate post of the city and walking off with them. Catching 300 foxes, tying their tails together, setting them on fire, letting them run through the fields and burning their crops up. I'm telling you, that ain't, no, that ain't no normal man. That boy's got something unusual on him. And then you may remember that Samson, like Israel, got the toying around with sin, and eventually we read this about Samson. The Bible said, then the lords of the Philistines, uh, yep, the Lord of the Philistines gathered them together to offer a great sacrifice unto, there he is again, Dagon their God, and to rejoice. For they said, our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So here they are. They already been through this scenario one time. They say, boy, our, God, our God's been good. I can see them there in there raising the roof to Dagon. Woo! Flicking their big, raising the roof. No, they got cell phones on with their lights shining. Woo! I mean, they're raising the roof to Dagon. Look what Dagon's done. He's delivered this boy. No, Dagon didn't do it. God put Samson in their hands. But I tell you one thing, bless your heart, Samson lost the glory because we read this right here. The Bible said, when the people saw him, they prayed and said, Our God hath delivered him into our hands, our enemy, the story of our country, which slew many of us. Then that other verse that I want to get to says this right here. He wist not that the Lord, the glory, had departed from him. I'm telling you, they got an old boy. They're praising their God for delivering. They don't even understand God delivered them into their hands. God departed from Samson. But I tell you one thing. Old Samson started praying for the story's over and the glory come back again. For the Bible said, Samson called unto the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen thee. I pray thee. On. You know what happened? The glory came back, and when the glory came back, the Bible said Samson leaned upon the post of the Colosseum, and he killed more death, more Philistines in his death than he did in his whole life. You want me to tell you why? The glory came back again. Boy, do we need God's glory. The history of the nation of Israel is a nation that possessed the glory of God. The history of the nation of Israel is a history of a nation that has lost the glory of God. But I done read in the back of the book of Ezekiel. I've been reading through Ezekiel. Let me just tell you, bless your heart, Ezekiel saw a day when that glory that got up and left, that glory is going to come back someday. God's not through with Israel. And aren't you glad God can and will give his glory back again? I'm telling you, their religion... Their religion was ruined, number one. Number two, watch this. Not only was their religion ruined, but their health was hazard. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we begin to read now in verse 6, verse 9, and verse 12 about something called emeralds. Oh, brother. Now, what in the world was an emerald? Well, looking in our text... I can't say for sure what it is, but I'll tell you what the word means. I looked it up in my Strong's Concordance, and it means this. It means a swelling. It really means a tower. So let me tell you, there was a swelling. Something, something swole up on these people. That was as big as a tower. And the Bible said it, it, it destroyed them. Look at verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them. What am I saying? I'm saying, man, they hazard their health 
because they didn't realize what they had in the ark. Verse 9, we read this. There was a great destruction. Verse 11, we read these words. There was a deadly destruction. In verse number 12 of this chapter, uh, it tends to lead and indicate to us that uh, many people of the land had died because of these emirates. Can I tell you something? It got so bad in, uh, in this chapter, verse number 12, the Bible said these people started crying out to the God of heaven. Now, wait a minute. They didn't found out Dagon can't help them. Can I tell you something? There ain't no God that can help you other than the Lord God. In fact, let me tell you, every other God in this world is a little G God. The God that you and I serve, the God of the Bible, is a big G God. And he's the only God that can... I know we live in a day when people are confused. You know, they just want to pray to a God. And they don't want you to mention which God you're praying to by referring to the one that has a, has a boy by the name of Jesus. But I tell you, that's the only Lord God there is. The God that has a boy, a son, by the name of Jesus. And he's the only God that can help us in a time of trouble. Amen. In fact, he's the only God there is. All the other gods are of men's own making. Now, I've got to stop and say this. These people, they're sick. Their bodies are sick because of the glory of God. Now, I'm not so crazy to stand up here and say that every time somebody gets sick, that it's because of personal sin, because I don't believe it is. I believe every time somebody gets sick, it's because of universal sin, because there was no sin before the curse and the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. So universally, sickness, disease... Death came upon individuals, upon humanity, after we rebelled against God. But I'm not so stupid to say that every time that somebody gets sick, uh, it's because of personal sin. But I tell you what, God does use things like disasters and death and diseases to get our attention. God does use things like that, according to verse 12, to get us to cry out to the God of heaven. You may remember back down in the land of Egypt when the land of Egypt was down, when they were, uh, Israel was down in the land of Egypt and God said, let my people go and they wouldn't let God use things like lice. God used things like uh, flies. God used things like frogs to bring the nation of Israel, Egypt to its knees so they would call out to the God of heaven. God's got many fearful weapons that he can bring upon our bodies when we disobey and rebel against him. So I'm done. So watch this. Their religion was ruined. Their health was hazard. But look at this number three. This is a little bit funny. Their country was corrupted. Now what do I mean by that? Well, if you look down at verse number five, it seems like God turned the rats loose on them. Look at verse five. Wherefore, ye shall make images of your emirates and images of your mice. Look at that. That mar the land. Evidently, God had not only smote the people with emeralds, swellings, huge swellings, tumors. I don't know. Many people say it. I'll just say it. You done thought of it. But many people think they were hemorrhoids. I mean, huge hemorrhoids. Powerful hemorrhoids. I don't know. I mean, I've never heard of anybody dying from one, but these folks were dying from them. That's pretty bad, ain't it? No amount of Miralax is going to help this crowd. That's exactly right. I mean, God doesn't put, God doesn't put a kidney stone in them the size of the top of Pilot Mountain and said, pass that, buddy. I mean, they, their health was hazard. Their religion was ruined. 
And if all that wasn't bad enough, God turned the rats loose on them. How many of y'all like rats? Anybody in here right, like rats? i tell you what, bless your heart, I hate rats. I hate mice, I hate rats, I hate snakes. I hate, but can you imagine? Evidently, they were so bad that the Bible simply said that they marred the land. They devastated the crops. They were eating up the reserves. They were transferring disease to the people of the land. I'm just trying to say all that. This happens when God gets behind enemy lines. Now, what do we get from all this? And I'm done. So what do we take away from this? Three things. The first truth we take away from this is this, this story. Sin causes God to depart from his people. Sin causes God to depart from his people. You see, the whole reason that ark is in Philistine hands to start with is because Israel didn't respect it when they had it. The whole reason the, the glory has been lost in the, in, the, in the nation that God intended to have it is because they started taking it for granted. They started neglecting it. They started thinking, we can do what we want to do, and then when we get in trouble, let's just go grab God and bring him out. Sin causes God to depart from his people. Can I say that again? Is this not a picture of America? Sin causes God to depart from his people. I mean, God left them. God let the Philistines whoop them. God let the Philistines steal the ark away from them. All that happened because of the sin of the people of the nation of Israel. There is a verse in our Bible that says that our sins and our iniquities have, has caused God to depart from us. Isaiah 59.1. Sin causes God to depart from people. Number two, second takeaway we get from this is this. God can take care of himself. Hey, God didn't need no help down there in the land of Philistia. God didn't need no help down there in Ashdod and Ekron and, and uh, Ashtaroth and the rest of these places. He may have been in enemy, he may have been in enemy territory. He may have been as far as the world was concerned all by himself. But our God can take care of himself. He didn't have to have anybody down there to defend him. All he's got to do is say to the rats, come on, boys, follow me. All he's got to do is say to the bodies, Y'all want some hemorrhoids? I mean, all God's got to do is just, man, just be there and the gods fall before him. God can defend himself. He's a great God. And then number three, what we take away from this text is this. God never finally forsakes his people. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, can I tell you this and I'm done? You know the reason Dagon is laying there crumbled all to pieces. You know the reason these folks, whatever, emeralds, whatever, they've got emeralds. You know the reason everywhere you step, there's a squeak, 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 squealing mouse running around. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. Because God was wanting to get the glory back to the nation of Israel where it was supposed to be. God never, ever finally forsakes God was working. These Israelites didn't even know what was going on in the land of Philistines. They didn't know, but God was at work. Why? He was wanting to get back over there to where his people was. And aren't you so thankful that though we may mess up and we do, 
We may have failed God, and we do. We may break the holy laws of a righteous God, and we do. But aren't you glad God never finally, fully forsakes his people? Aren't you glad he's always a God? I mean, if he's in enemy territory, he'll call the rats. He'll call the lice, the mice, the, the, the lice, the mice. This just in, lice and mice. I mean, he'll call all of that and even make people sick. You know why? He wants to get back to where his people are. That's our God. And I may be speaking to somebody in this place, and you may have blown it big time, but I just want to tell you, there's a God who's working to bring you back. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. What a great